Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. We're in a series entitled Summer Psalms, and we're working our way through some of the psalms. Uh, Obviously, we can't cover them all. There's 150 of them, but we're hitting as many as we can this summer. And so I want to encourage you, go ahead and turn over to Psalm 112, because that's where we're going to be today. While you head over there, on your chairs, you have these nice little bookmarks. Hopefully, you'll grab these, uh, hang on to them, use them as a resource. They're a fantastic resource. And then, of course, on the front, uh, you'll see that every week we are trying to encourage you Uh, to get into at least one psalm. So if you've never really opened the Word of God, never really studied, uh, this is a great, easy way to jump in with us this summer. Uh, This week, we're actually doing Psalm 103, which is a psalm of praise. And so we uh, just want to encourage you to read that this week sometime. Take some time. Or if you're you're wanting to, read it every day. Uh, I know Mike challenged you a couple of weeks ago to to read more than a couple a day and, and try to make your way all the way through the book of Psalms. So hopefully we have some people doing that. But if you've never really cracked the Bible before, man, just, just read Psalm 103 this week. If you'll do that, uh, that's a big step forward. Today, we are in Psalm 112, and I'm excited about this psalm. And actually, you're going to see some similarities to what I taught last week, Psalm 33. I kept having trouble last week keeping my train of thought because I was tying things together. I was thinking about 112 while I was teaching 33 because there's so many things that that are really, they just go together. And uh, this is a psalm of wisdom. On the back of your bookmark, if you look at that, Uh, One of the cool things that uh, Pastor Mike put on there for you is on the back, there's a legend. He broke all 150 Psalms into 10 different categories. And so if you scroll down through there, you find 112, you'll actually find that it is a book of wisdom. 111 is actually a book of wisdom as well. Uh, But today, my focus is going to be on 112, even though you'll notice that those two kind of go together a little bit. Now, we call them Psalms, and Psalms uh, is another way of saying a song. So you could say that it's a song of wisdom. But it's also a poem of wisdom, because that's what this is. 112 that we're going to read today is actually a poem. And you know what a poem is, right? It's something that rhymes. It's like a rap, right? Um, and I'm not going to rap for you, but it's, it's that idea that it rhymes. And, and sometimes it's to help you learn something that you should. Remember when I was growing up, I, I always heard, uh, you know, don't cuss and... Uh, drink and chew and don't go with the girls that do, that type of thing, right? And so some of them can be beneficial. Some of them are just for fun. I found this one. How many of you have coffee this morning? Raise your cup. Okay, quite a few of you. So you live by this. Uh, you'll, you'll probably like this one. This one says, uh, come thou badly needed coffee, come to make thy people see. From our weary slumbers wake us, let us end our rest with thee. This real, brace, this real bracing consolation bids us from our beds arise Water, beans in combination, open up our sleeping eyes, right? And so some of them can just be fun. Now, I'll tell you, that one I just read right there, uh, it's clever, but it is not a powerful one, all right? It might help you wake up in the morning. It's not going to change your life, really, okay? Uh, Psalm 112 is a poem that will change your life, though. 
Now, how is it a poem? Because we're reading it in English. It doesn't look like a poem at all. And actually, I want you to know that Psalm 111 and 112 are what we call acrostic poems. Now, what that means is that each line begins with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So if this was in English, if we were doing it in English, we would do it this way. The first line would start with A, second line would start with B, third line would start with C. You got the point, right? And it's pretty easy, but uh, that's the way it was written in the Hebrew. But we read it in English, so we completely miss it. Like, we don't even know that this is a poem when we're reading it, but it's actually just amazingly constructed. It's a beautiful poem. 111 and 112 both do the same thing, and I I think they're tied together, but I'm going to focus on 112 today. Uh, But I want you to know that 111 and 112, we're going to say today, applies to both of them. Now, uh, reading through Charles Spurgeon's commentary on these two acrostic poems, this is what he had to say. He said it bears the same relation. He was talking about 111. It bears the same relation to the preceding, which, I'm sorry, he was talking about 112 uh, in relation to 111. It bears the same relation to the preceding which the moon does to the sun. For while the first declares the glory of God, the second speaks of the reflection of the divine brightness of men born from above. These two beautiful poems are tied together. They're the same number of lines. They both follow the same pattern as a poem. And actually in many of the lines, they'll match up. They actually say pretty much the same thing, just a little bit differently. So it's, it's amazing. If you're looking at... The focus of these poems, I would say that when you read through 111, what you'll find out is 111 is a poem all about praising God, bringing praise to the Lord for who he is. 112, the one that we're going to focus on today, is actually the blessing which comes to the person who is praising the Lord. Now, as pastors, many times we joke around about our job. Uh, about how difficult it can be sometimes because what happens is we're speaking to an unbelieving world and we're trying to get them to believe in something they can't see and not just believe but to sacrifice themselves to what we sang about this, uh, this morning surrender their lives right to something they can't see and then they're like well is there is there guarantee wealth in that well not really and actually Jesus says it might even get tougher for you right and so sometimes uh to, to get an unbelieving world to become a believer, sometimes it's a hard sell. But here's the thing. Do you realize that there is an upside though? Like there is a benefit to being a believer of, of putting your faith in Jesus Christ and living the life that God has for us. There's a benefit to it. That's what 112 is all about. And some of these I had to read over and over a few times because I'm like, hmm, that's actually pretty powerful what it says there and we just kind of read over it sometimes and miss it so today we're going to take it uh, almost verse by verse and take a look at what it actually has in store for us right here and right now as God's people so 112 hopefully you're there verse 1 it starts off this way with a big declaration it just says praise the Lord how joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands and this praise the Lord, it's just this, this declaration, is actually a, a complex Hebrew word in the original text. You use it quite often. You actually sang it. You said it several times this morning. Maybe you missed it. But the word that's used here is this word that you and I say, uh, we say hallelujah. That's what we say. And, and it's two Hebrew words smashed together, hallelujah and yah. 
And what, what it means is hallelujah is this praise be or praise ye. And then Yah is just a shorter version because they would never say the full name of God. But Yahweh is what they're talking about. And so if you want the translation, it's really just praise ye God or praise the Lord is what it says. That's what you're saying when you sing hallelujah. That's what you're saying is praise the Lord. Um, the next is a promise. It says, how joyful are those, or how blessed are those who do what? We're going to have some fun this morning, aren't we? How joyful are those who what? You got it. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. You're joyful when you fear the Lord. That didn't, that didn't make any sense, does it? That, that sounds kind of like it contradicts one another. And the reason for that, I think, is because for many of us in our culture today, we have this misunderstanding of what it means to fear the Lord. Because we think of fear as this, uh, this idea of being scared or being frightened or terrified. I want you to know that believers don't fear God in that sense. They don't fear God in a sense of misery or this sense of reluctant obligation like a slave does for his master. I'm going to serve because I don't want to get beat again, right? That's not the way Christians fear God. That's not what it's talking about there. If that is what it was supposed to mean, then it would contradict a lot of other passages in Scripture like the one that we read in 1 John chapter 4, 17 and 18. It says... And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be what? Afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Can I just say it this way? The only people that really need to fear God in the sense that we think of fear, like um, out, of, out of being terrified, being afraid, the only people that need to be, that need to fear God in that way are those who are not right with God. Those who have never placed their trust in him. Those who have never declared him as their Lord and Savior. Why? Because there is a coming judgment at the end of this life. And if you understand that judgment, it should bring fear if you're not right with God. It goes on to say in verse 18, such love has no fear. Because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. See, the only way to avoid that, that judgment, of being afraid of that judgment at the end of our lives, is to place our faith in Jesus Christ, to make him the Lord of our life. And if you have never done that, that is your first step this morning. If you've never received Christ, I don't want you to leave here today without declaring him as your Lord and Savior, of understanding that you have a God that loves you so much, he sent his son, he died for you, and he rose again, and through his death and resurrection, you have forgiveness of sins, and you have eternal life with him, and you have nothing to be afraid of after that. You begin this journey with Jesus Christ. Maybe that's your first step this morning. If that's the case, I pray that you'll do it. If you don't know how to do that, talk to the person that invited you this morning or come see one of the pastors. We would love to share that with you. But when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, what it does is it takes away the fear of the future. We don't have to worry about it anymore because we are secure in Jesus Christ. We are redeemed. We are forgiven. We don't have to be afraid of the future. And it gives us a proper view of who God is and who we are in God. And with that proper view of who God is comes this, this deep reverence 
comes this respect for our God, our creator, our savior. That's what it means to fear God. It's not this hiding in the corner, scared to death, but it's this bowing before him. It's this reverence. It's what we did this morning. It's this bowing before, worshiping him for who he is. That's the fear of God being expressed in our lives. We don't have to be afraid of God, but there should be a deep reverence for him. When we understand that it's by his grace that we are saved, that without him we have nothing, we are nothing, there's this respect, there's this love that takes place. And and all fear, it says, is cast out, it's expelled. And it's replaced with this adoration, this worship, this love of who God is. It says, how joyful are those who fear the Lord. But then it goes on, it says, um, and what? And delight in obeying his commands. So those two things work together. We fear the Lord and then we delight in obeying his commands. What's interesting is a few chapters away is Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. It's like 176 verses. And every one of them are about this phrase. It's all about the importance of the Bible, the scripture, and living our lives and and aligning our lives with God's precepts and his commands and and living it out in our lives and what happens when we do that. Joyful, blessed are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying God's commands. And then we look at verses two and three, which give us a look at this person's blessed household. Do you realize that your faith The way you live it out affects more than you. Look at this, verse two. Their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. Some of you parents in here, you need to underline that, right? Like you need to claim this one, man, because you need it. Because I I, I feel for you. I remember, I look at many of you as you walk in here today, and I remember back to the days when I was like 19, my wife was 18, we're walking in with this little baby. We had no clue how to live life. We we didn't know what life was about. And now we got this little bitty thing to take care of. We didn't know what to do. And I see that in many of you when you come in here. Your eyes are like big, and you're like, oh my gosh, what just happened? I don't know. And then you're like, is there any place to put this thing? Can you take it? And we're just going to go to a donut and coffee, and we're going to relax for a little bit and take a break, right? And I see that in you guys, and I know what you're doing. Like you're, you're like, I don't know how to do my life, and I'm just trying to find some truth. I'm trying to find foundation to live my life on. And I love it because you are in the right place. You realize that? This is the right place for you because when you learn how to fear God and you learn to delight in obeying his commands, guess what? Your children will be successful everywhere. And that's important for you, especially now when we're being told that even a kid at five years old can pick his gender. Are you kidding me? And I'm I'm not going to go political here, okay? I'm just saying we're being told something completely by our, our society like, oh, just let those kids decide for themselves, right? I mean, it's a lot more than just that. I mean, that's, that's extreme. But even just the type of person they want to be, whether they should engage with, with your faith or not. And I want to challenge you parents and go, no, you fear God and you delight in obeying his commands and you live a godly lifestyle and you live it out in front of them. You show them the way. I pray and hope that they see that in you because it says here, if you do that, your children will be successful everywhere they go. 
An entire generation will be blessed. The psalmist is saying, look, there's a family blessing when a person fears the Lord and delights in obeying his commandments. You want to leave an inheritance to your family? It's not in the 401k. And I'm not saying don't save money. That's not what I'm saying. You know me. But if that's what you think you're going to bless your kids with, you're, you're sorely missing the point. It's not with cards. It's not with houses. It's not with land. I can tell you story after story of people that have come in here and they've told me, look, we thought we were doing the right thing. We let our kids do what they wanted. We just tried to leave them something and we gave them wealth and it ruined their life. They wasted it. It became a a curse and not a blessing. You leave an inheritance, listen to me, by living a godly life and doing it in front of your kids. You pass it on to your kids. The greatest inheritance that you can leave for your kids is you living a godly life and teaching them how to do the same thing. And I promise you, years down the road, they're going to thank you for it. They're going to thank you for it. Verse 3 goes on. It says, they themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. I had to read that one several times because I was like, "Mm, what? Does that really say what I think it says? See, the psalmist declares economic success for the godly. That's what it says. Now, how in the world can the psalmist write that? How do they do that? Because when you fear the Lord and you delight in obeying his commands, something amazing happens. You align the rest of your life with that, including your finances and your financial dealings. And you know what happens when those things are pleasing God? God blesses those things. That's how that works. Now, I'm not teaching a prosperity doctrine here. You know that. That's not me, all right? But I am telling you, there's something amazing that happens when we honor God with our finances. It's amazing how many times when we're doing that, that it comes in line with his will. And we see God bless on top of that. He blesses our finances and our financial dealings. It's amazing. Now, there's supernatural, uh, I'm sorry, there's supernatural blessings to our finances, Maybe you've experienced those. I know we have many times. Um, I've told you the story when we've been in a life group and we didn't know how we were going to make our next bill and, and they leave and all of a sudden we go out to the mailbox and somebody had left some cash in our mailbox. It was just enough to cover what we needed. There's supernatural blessings that God does. Many times he does that. Like, I don't understand. I thought we were going to be short and yet we have just enough to make it, right? But then there's also blessings where We just are doing the right thing. We're following God's, we're delighting in obeying God's commands when it comes to our finances. And guess what? We're being good stewards of it. And it goes further. And he blesses our finances. Now, I want to make sure that you know that the psalmist, when he's writing this, is written way many, many years ago under the old covenant before Jesus shows up. So it's under the old covenant, and under the old covenant, God literally promised financial wealth to the people that followed him. Like he told his people, if you align your hearts with mine, if you follow me, if I am your God and you are my people, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to expand your boundaries. I'm going to, I'm going to give you more sheep and more cattle, and, right? This is what it said, more children. I'm, you're going to be blessed because you're my people. But today... After Jesus Christ came and we are now under the new covenant, the, spirit, the, uh, the blessing isn't so much financial or worldly as it is spiritual. We experience spiritual wealth because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I can tell you, it's incredible. 
when you grow in that spiritual wealth, you grow in a deeper relationship with your God. Create a stronger foundation for your life. Because there is something more important than worldly wealth. The second part of verse 3 says, their good deeds will last forever. That's what it says. Um, In another translation, it says, their righteousness endures forever. Now, what does that mean? Good deeds and righteousness. Well, righteousness is this oneness with God. And we could look at that and go, okay, well, oneness with God, that just means that we're going to spend eternity with Jesus. That's what it means. And I think that's correct. I think that's definitely correct. But I think it's bigger than that. I think it's richer than that. And, and it comes up again in verse 6. So take that passage, that righteousness that endures forever, that, that your good deeds will last forever, stick it in your pocket, and we'll pull it out again when we get to verse 6, okay? Um, continuing on, it says, Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous, compassionate, and righteous. I love this because when this was being written uh, before electricity, right? It was understood that most people lived the majority of their life in the dark, right? This is what they did. Uh, it, it was dark. There just wasn't a whole lot of life. But I think it's, it's deeper than that. I think even today with electricity and the fact we can turn lights on, we can't say that that passage doesn't apply anymore. I think it it's actually has a deeper meaning. I think it means that we live most of our life in the dark. We're not sure what tomorrow looks like. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know when the end will come. Um, We understand that we live most of our life in the dark. Uh, Maybe it's bad news. Um, George Horn put it this way. He said, while we are on the earth, we're subject to a threefold darkness. Maybe this will help enlighten you in the dark in your life. He says, it's the darkness of error. When we make mistakes, things get dark. Um, He says, the darkness of sorrow, we can experience some very, very dark times in our life. And he says, in the darkness of death. Maybe you're in the dark right now. Maybe it was because of a mistake you made. Or maybe you're dealing with sorrow. Maybe it's a deep depression over something. Maybe, maybe you've experienced the loss of a loved one. And it's dark because you don't know how to move forward in life right now without that person. What I love about this promise in 112 is that it says that God will shine a light into your darkness. It doesn't say that he comes in and he just lights everything up and it stays light. He says when you're in the dark, he will shine a light. He will show you what your next step is. He will show you how tomorrow you can get out of bed and continue in life. He will show you how the direction to take, right? Uh, One of the darknesses I think that we deal with is just the struggle of not knowing what the next step is in life. Should I go to college? Should I not? Should, Should I make this business deal? Should I invest in this area? And it says that God will shine a light. If we really, really are people who fear him, who delight in obeying his commandments, and we spend time in prayer and just go, God, show me the way. I believe in those dark areas. He will shine a light in those areas. Why? Because he is faithful. And he blesses those who fear him and delight in obeying his commandments. This goes on in 
In verse 3, it says that God's blessing can be wealth. But in verse 4, it says that the godly are generous, compassionate, and righteous. That's what it says. So let me kind of take a little bit of a detour, just real quick. This is a rhetorical question. How many wealthy people do you know can be described as generous, compassionate, and righteous? Not very many, right? Because there's a trap there. There's a trap for many people. Um, There's a story that comes up in Matthew chapter 19, and it's just simply entitled The Rich Man. That's what it is. Uh, A rich dude shows up, talks to Jesus, and says, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Most of you know this story, right? To paraphrase, Jesus says, obey the commandments. Well, which ones? Like, not all of them, right? And, and he lists off. He doesn't give them all. He just gives them a few of them. And, and what's interesting is the guy's like, I've kept all those since I was a kid. What else must I do? And, and Jesus, he has an advantage. Okay, just know that. He's God. He can look into people's hearts and minds. He knows. Them. And so he knew what this guy was struggling with. And so he says to this guy, um, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you'll have eternal life. And it says the guy walks away sad in heart because he was a man of great wealth. See, Jesus went right at the idol in his life. Now, does that mean that people can't make it into heaven? Because when Jesus turns to the disciples and he describes this to him, he says this. He says, I tell you the truth, it's very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again, it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Does that mean that people that have money in their pocket can't make it into heaven? Absolutely not. No. It just means that for many of us, when we get money in our pocket, that becomes our idol. We start to put our faith and our trust in that, and it's just a trap to be aware of. I can tell you, I know of a lot of wealthy people who cannot be described as generous and compassionate and righteous, that we would describe them differently. But for every one of them, I know of at least one or two other people who are very wealthy who I could describe as generous and compassionate and righteous. And they are having some of the biggest impacts in the kingdom of God because they are being good stewards and they are being in tune with what God desires for them in their their life. And you know why they're wealthy? I keep looking at that. It's because they were a good steward and God continued to give them more. We'll talk about that Again, here in just a minute. In verse 5, it says, Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. And so it says, look, be a good steward of what God has given you. If it's finances, great. If it's wisdom, great. If it's knowledge, if skill, whatever it is, be a good steward of those things. That's what we're supposed to do. But then it says, those who are righteous will be long remembered. Remember that thing I told you to stick in your pocket earlier in verse 3 where it says their good deeds will last forever? I kept looking at that. I kept looking at this in verse 6. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. I was like, what does that mean? And can I just give you the answer? Um, The answer is this, I don't know. That's really the answer. I don't know exactly what this means. But through my study and everything, let me share with you where I'm at right now. Is that a deal? I'm just being upfront with you. I don't know exactly what this is supposed to mean. But I I think I'm starting to understand a little bit of it. Uh, I think when I read that, that the righteous will be long remembered and their good deeds will last forever, 
I'm thinking if, if we are people who fear God, if we're people who delight in obeying his commandments, guess what happens in life? We begin to align our lives with what he wants for us. We begin to live our lives in such a way that the world gets to see Christ in us. We start to reach the world around us, to have an impact in the world around us for the kingdom. Now, let me tell you what I get out of this idea that their good deeds will last forever, because that's a long time to me, and that the righteous will be long remembered. I think, this is where I'm at right now, I think that one day, when we, if we live our lives the way God has called us to live and we have an impact in this world for him, one day while we're in heaven, there'll be a homecoming. And you'll be there. And somebody's going to come over to you and they're going to hug your neck, they're going to shake your hand, they're going to do something. And they're going to say, thank you. Because you live the life of Christ. I'm here. Because some action, maybe it's somebody that you reached. Maybe you you spoke truth into somebody's life and helped them to see Jesus. Maybe you loved somebody that they thought they were unlovable and you you were the reflection of Christ to them. And because of that, they gave their life to Christ. Now, I'm speaking from experience here because let me just kind of tell you my, in just a Reader's Digest version, what happened to us. My grandfather, I don't have time to even get in how horrible he was. Um, There was a pastor that wouldn't give up on him. Would come by the gas station that he owned all the time and would constantly just keep beating on him like, man, you need church, you need Jesus, you need to get in church. Come, come, just come visit, just come visit. And he wouldn't give up on my grandfather when everyone else would. And because of Pastor Weitzel, I know his name, that's all I know, eventually my grandfather would give his life to Christ. And it would change our entire family. From my grandfather on, it's changed our entire family. I don't know Pastor Weitzel, but I guarantee you, when I get to heaven, I'm finding that dude and I'm going to hug his neck. Because it's changed that. That's what I think, kind of in a nutshell, this is what this is talking about. When you live your life in such a way where the Holy Spirit can use you and work through you, you're going to change the trajectory of other people's lives. You're going to change, get this, the eternal destination of other people. Your good deeds will last forever and the righteous will be long remembered. It goes on to say in verse 7, they do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. How how do you not fear bad news, right? Right? Because there's bad news all around us, isn't there? It's horrible. Maybe it's from your own family. You know, you're getting bad news. Or maybe it's from a lack of health. Maybe you went to the doctor and got a bad doctor's report. How do you not fear bad news? Maybe it's something going on with your business right now and things aren't going right. Or maybe it's politics, right? I get bad news every time I go and fill my car up at the pump right now. It's bad news to me, all right? Bad news is all around us. But it says the one who fears the Lord doesn't fear bad news. How do you not fear bad news? Do you know why? Um, Because of what it says. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. The reason you don't have to fear bad news is because your hope isn't in something that bad news is going to change or affect. Your hope is in something that was the same yesterday, today, and somebody. You got it. It's not going to change. You have a foundation. You don't have to worry about bad news because you trust the Lord to care for you. 
Verse 8, it says they are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. As a man, when I read this passage, I was like, yes. Like, I, like I bowed up on this one. I was like, man, I want that, right? I, I want to be described as this confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. It reminds me of what King David wrote in his psalm, Psalm 23. He says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Kind of an odd line, isn't it? And yet this is what he was talking about, being able to face your foes triumphantly. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, when he was writing his commentary on this verse, said this. He said, talking about the godly person that can face their foes. He said, he is neither fickle nor cowardly. When he is undecided as to his course, he is still fixed in heart. He may change his plan, but not the purpose of his soul. And I was like, man, I love that. Like just being confident and fearless. And even in the face of my enemies, not, even if I'm not sure what my next step is, just trusting God in that. My plan may change but not the purpose of my soul. I'm here to live my life for Christ and to honor him with everything that I have, with everything that I have, to fully surrender to him. Let me ask you, how would you like to face your foes triumphantly? How would you like that? Um, the only people that can do that are those who in Psalm 24 are described as those with clean hands and pure hearts those who are right before God. Because it doesn't matter who comes at you and what they say or what, what accusation or what charge they have, you know that you are righteous in God's eyes. You're living your life in a righteous way. You have nothing to fear and you can face your foes triumphantly. And then verse nine, it says they share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. There it is again. They will have influence and honor. Generosity is one of the main themes all the way through chapter 112. It's incredible how often generosity comes up, this idea that when you're living a godly lifestyle, you're just generous with everything that you have, with your time, with your skills, with your knowledge, your wisdom, everything. You're just generous with that. And I would say if you're going to define generosity, I would just say it this way, being a good steward with what God has given you. Because everything you have, you might think you've done it yourself, but everything you have is from God. It's a gift from God. He's just looking for you to be a good steward in that. Generosity is such a big key to this that when Paul was encouraging the Corinthians in their generosity, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 9, he actually, he actually quotes verse 9 from here. I love that correlation. It says, says their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor I love this line. I've seen it as I've gotten older. I've seen this play out so often. When you're a good steward, when you are trustworthy in God's eyes, guess what? God will give you more influence. He will give you more honor. It's like in Matthew chapter 25, the, the parable of the talents, right? The guy's getting ready to, to leave on a trip and he brings in three servants and he gives one five bags of gold, one uh, two bags of gold, and another one one bag of gold. And they go out and they invest it, at least the, other, the first two do. The second one with the one bag, he goes and buries it. The owner comes back. He wants an account. The guy with five shows up and he's got 10. I invest it, here you go. The guy with two shows up with four, here you go. The guy with one goes and digs it out of the ground, gives it back to him and says, I knew you were a hard man. 
You reap where you don't sow. Here's, here's your money. And what's he called? The, the owner calls him a wicked servant for burying what he was given. See, when we're a good steward in the way that, that God desires us to be, generosity flows out of us. We will use what he's given us in the way that he wants us to use it. Um, that parable actually ends with these words. It says, to those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But those who do nothing, even with what little they've ha- they have, it will be taken away. Everything that we have, God has given us and he expects us to be generous with it. And when we steward in the way that God desires, when we are generous, God will increase our influence and he will increase our honor. I've seen this work in life. I've seen this work in families. I've seen this work at business. It's incredible what happens. Now, the cycle of the godly life goes something like this. As I read through this passage and just thinking about my own life, I would say it this way, that we fear the Lord we pursue him with everything that we have. And because of that, he blesses us. That's what 112 is all about. When he blesses us, we trust in his provision. Then we generously give of what we've been given. And because of that, he's glorified. And so he blesses us even more, he, which increases our faith. And we become a blessing to the world around us even to a greater degree at that point. He's honored because of that. And then he increases our influence in his kingdom. It's amazing how that works. It's like a snowball effect. I love our God because he understands who we are. He made us. He knows that sometimes we have to take baby steps before we can get running, right? But when you start learning this, it's not long before you're in a full sprint. Because you're pursuing what God has for you. And you know that that he has a better plan. Now, there's a side effect to this godly life. Um, we talked about a lot of it, the blessing and everything else, but it ends in a weird way. It ends with verse 10. And I struggled with this because how, how in the world do I share this with you, right? It says, the wicked will see this and they will be infuriated. They will grind their teeth in anger. They will slink away their hopes thwarted. That's the way that whole chapter ends. Hey, you'll be blessed, your home, all these things, right? And then it gets to the end. Oh yeah, the, the people that are wicked, they'll hate you because of it. They're going to grind their teeth. They're going to, you know, part of one of the translations says, the wicked will melt away, is what it says. Now, I struggle with that because I don't want you going, okay, I'm going to follow God because I don't like this person over here and I want them to suffer, right? God, I'm going I'm to do this for you as long as that person takes it on the chin, right? I, I, that's the wrong motive. I don't want you to do that. But here's, here's the idea behind that. When you live a godly lifestyle, you don't have to defend yourself. You live a godly lifestyle, it says that you might even be hated, right? You might be, you might be despised. You might have to go through some trials for doing the right thing. And some of you know what that's like because maybe you were at work and your coworkers were doing something that shouldn't have, and you knew better, and you're like, no, I can't do that. So you did the right thing, and not only did you do the right thing and shined because of it, but then the spotlight was put on them, and they looked worse, right? And so they're, they're now taking it out on you. You can't worry about that because you're here to serve God. You have to do what he calls you to do. And you can't worry about the other things. And here's what I love about it is you're not going to worry about it anyway because your focus is going to be on one thing. It's going to be on Jesus. 
And I think it's one of the reasons why it says the wicked melt away. You get to a place where you don't, you don't worry about it anymore. Now, this Psalm 112 is this acrostic poem. It's a beautiful poem. And the psalmist says that the way to prosper is to be a person who praises the Lord, who fears the Lord, who delights in obeying his commands. When you do that, you will live a life that honors God by being generous with everything that he's given you, your talents, your skills, your money, your time. And when you're living that way, it says in this poem that God will bless your home, that he will bless your families, he'll bless your finances. You won't be overcome by evil and you won't have to fear bad news because you'll be confident and fearless and be able to face your foes triumphantly because your hope is not in anything but the Lord himself. Our good deeds, our legacy, and our righteousness, our our oneness with God will last forever throughout eternity. It's going to go beyond this life into eternity. That's what the psalmist tells us in this poem. That is a powerful poem. That is a poem that will change your life. Can I pray for that? Would you join me? Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word, for the fact that we can dive in, we can learn more about you and who we are in you. And Lord, today I pray for those that maybe far from you, maybe they've never received you as Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just lay it upon their hearts to do that today. Lord, for those that are following you, the rest of us that are trying our best just to be more and more like you, I pray that you would plant within our hearts and our minds this week maybe a line or a phrase or even a word from this amazing poem that would convict us, that would challenge us, that would cause us to make some changes in our life so that we might be more and more like you. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to to bless the people here. I I pray especially for those who came in today uh, in the dark. Maybe they're going through loss or or a horrible, um, horrible doctor's report, whatever it is. I pray that you would just meet with them right where they're at right now. Let them know that you love them, that you know about it, and you've got it taken care of. God, I pray for us as we go into the world and we begin to live our lives this week. Maybe it's on vacation, maybe it's back to work, whatever it is. But would you use us in a great way this week? Would you um, allow your Holy Spirit to flow in and through us this week? Show us, Lord, how we can, through um, just righteous living, have an impact on our families and the world around us. And Lord, we thank you for all the things that you're going to do in advance this week. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen.